You're listening to Nonprofit Confidential, episode number 20. Welcome back to Nonprofit Confidential. I hope you're having an absolutely fantastic day. My name is Sheila Nimisha Kavi, and I am the founder of Third Suite. Third Suite provides courses and coaching for current and aspiring nonprofit leaders, as well as consulting for nonprofit organizations. I am all about helping nonprofit talent unlock their leadership potential and create real, positive change in their communities. If that sounds like what you're into, then you're in the right place. I've got some really exciting news to share with you. On July 22nd, registration opens up for Third Suite's new membership program, Nonprofit Scholars. Nonprofit Scholars is a monthly membership program for current and aspiring nonprofit leaders who want to take a deep dive and really expand their knowledge about the nonprofit sector. Every week, members will receive a new webinar in their membership portal. During these webinars, I'll deconstruct best practices, review case studies, and teach you how to apply the latest research to your work. I like to think of this as Netflix for nonprofits. You can binge watch webinars whenever you have time or watch them as soon as they're released. These webinars will help you understand foundational concepts such as financial statements, fundraising letters, and succession planning. We'll take a closer look at real cases that have been in the news and try to determine what went wrong and what went right. And we'll take a look at the research that's coming out of universities across the country to determine how to implement what the research shows. You'll have access to an online community where you can share thoughts, post questions, and network with your peers. And each month, I'll host a Q&A session that addresses common questions raised throughout the month. I'm also throwing in a bunch of bonuses that are only available to nonprofit scholars. Things like in-person networking events, scholarships to national conferences, free consultations, and so much more. So who is a good fit for this program? Current executive directors who want to up-level their game, if you want to lead an organization or a team, this is especially great for you, and it's also really fitting for board members. So, for a limited time, I'm offering this to you for only $29.97 per month. The price will go up, but if you sign up as soon as registration opens, you'll get grandfathered in at this price, so even when it goes up, your rate will always stay at just under $30. And of course, you can cancel your membership at any time. I wanted to give this information to you now, even though registration doesn't actually begin until July 22nd, so you can take some time to think about it. If you're interested and want to be notified as soon as registration starts, head on over to www.thirdsuite.com and select Nonprofit Scholars from the menu. There, you'll be able to get onto the email list so you can get notified as soon as registration opens. I'm so excited to launch Nonprofit Scholars for so many reasons, but most importantly, the most effective nonprofit leaders that I've met and worked with, they all share some common traits. And one of them is just this unquenchable thirst for learning. 
We're at such a cool stage in nonprofits right now because there's just so much research being done through universities and consulting firms, and all of this information is brand new. For so long, no one really studied the sector, and we all kind of operated off of hunches and what seemed right. Well, now we have actual data to look at, and there's going to be even more as the field continues to grow and develop. So if you're as excited about this as I am, and you really want to become an effective leader, I hope you'll join me in Nonprofit Scholars. Let's move on to today's episode. Today, I want to chat with you about what donors really want. So here's the thing. There's so many tips that get thrown at us when we're fundraising. It seems like there's a million different things we're supposed to do to get a gift, right? So things like call your donors to say thank you, write a handwritten note on appeal letters, communicate with donors regularly so they know you're thinking about them, communicate your impact, share numbers and stories, and these are all great things to do. But when you already have a million things going on, you can really start to question, do any of these things even matter? Do donors really care if I write a little note on their appeal letter? Will they actually give more? If donors don't pick up the phone when I call, why bother continuing to call and say thank you? So when you have a lot going on, it's really easy to skip some of these touch points. I know I've definitely done that before. So if we're going to continue to engage donors in these touch points, even when we are really busy, if we're going to make these touch points a, tri- a priority, we need a much better understanding of why these steps are important to begin with. Most of the information that's out there regarding donor engagement seems to prescribe these steps and call it donor cultivation or stewardship, but I think these terms mask the importance of what you're doing when you build a relationship with the donor. The turning point in my own fundraising career came when I stopped using the terms cultivation and stewardship to describe my work. When I stopped listening to the shoulds of our field, Things like, you should write a note on every appeal letter. You should call donors who give above a certain threshold amount. For me, the turning point came when I realized that we are part of something bigger. That I'm building a real relationship, not just checking off a to-do list. And relationships don't thrive or even survive when we come at them with an agenda or with expectations, right? Some of us might be able to relate this to, let's say, dating and romantic relationships. Did you ever set out to meet the love of your life by looking for someone who checks off all of your boxes? How successful were you? Even when we meet the person who does check all of those boxes, the chemistry might not be there. Just from my own personal life, I know that When you let go of any expectations and just try to get to know someone, that's when relationships thrive. So then, can we apply this same logic with our donors? Can we let go of expectations and just do what we know will lead to a thriving relationship? This includes handwritten notes and phone calls and emails and meetings, but these actions are just a mean to an end. Let's take our dating analogy again. We do many of the same things when we date. We meet for coffee or drinks, go out to lunch, talk on the phone. We don't necessarily write notes, but we do text. So why do we do all of that? And we do it because we want to cultivate feelings, feelings of trust. We want our partners to feel like we care about them. We want them to feel valued and like an important part of our lives. 
So that's kind of, you know, your why behind the calls and the texts and the date nights. And in a romantic relationship, we wouldn't create linear formulas like every four phone calls should lead to a date night. So within donor relationships, we can't have the expectation that if I do A, B, and C, then I'll get a larger gift. It just doesn't work that way unless the feelings are there. So then the question becomes, what are these feelings I'm talking about? (laughs) So there are three feelings that we need to cultivate in our donors. And frankly, it doesn't matter how you do it. But if donors don't feel these three feelings, they won't give to your organization. These feelings are trust, feelings of being valuable, and feelings of being valued. So first, donors want trust. Donors want to know that they can trust your organization to fulfill their wish of having a positive impact on the community. Donors want to trust that by giving to your organization, they can uphold their identity as an advocate and as an involved community member. Donors want to trust your organization to be the conduit leading to the change they wish to see in the world. Secondly, donors want to feel as if they are valuable to your organization. They want to know that they meaningfully contributed toward a cause. And third, donors want to feel valued. They want to feel as if you appreciate their support and recognize them as a contributor. And again, it doesn't really matter how you cultivate these feelings. So in a previous episode, which I'll link to in the show notes, I shared with you a donor roadmap that helped me when I was starting to fundraise. It helped me keep track of who to contact and when. But that's just a guide to help keep track of donor touch points. And it helped me make this kind of take an amorphous idea of donor engagement and put some structure to it. But you're not limited to those steps as long as you can cultivate feelings of trust, feeling valuable, and feeling valued. This is so important because communication and communication tools are constantly changing with things like social media and other technology. But if you can remember that it's these core feelings at the base of every donor relationship, you'll always know the right thing to do. Oftentimes, we hear of donor cultivation and stewardship as the the, core tenets of fundraising. So just to review, cultivation is a process of forming that relationship with your donor. And stewardship is showing your donor that their gift had an impact. Now, I still agree that donor cultivation and stewardship are part of the donor process, but I would argue that these terms add a layer of complexity to donor relationships. We all know what it feels like to trust someone or a company or a nonprofit. We also know what it feels like to feel valued. I think the terms cultivation and stewardship seem to imply a linear relationship between our actions and results, but we know that's not the case. Just because you show a donor all of the great work you've done and that you've served hundreds or thousands of people doesn't mean they'll want to give you a gift. There are plenty of nonprofits out there doing amazing work and still aren't able to get gifts from every single donor just by following the formulas of cultivation and stewardship. Likewise, just because you shared impact data with your donors, it doesn't mean that they will feel compelled to give again. So let's take a few examples and see how we can look at different donor engagement strategies differently as we try to cultivate feelings of trust, being valuable, and being valued.
So let's first take a look at social media because that gets a lot of attention these days. Everyone feels like you have to be on Facebook and Instagram and oh, don't forget Twitter, but how often do we stop to think why? Yes, it's great for marketing and for directly communicating with a large group of people at once. It's excellent for exposure. It's really nice to be able to drip out messaging. But what's the real purpose? I would argue that the real purpose and the reason social media works well as a community building tool is because it helps you establish trust with your community. When you post pictures of your nonprofit's programs, whether it's you know puppies getting adopted or conferences, you're not just telling your donors that you did this great thing, you're actually showing them proof. Social media is a really powerful way to take donors behind the scenes. We would love to give all of our donors a tour of our programs, but in many cases, it's not appropriate to bring a donor into your programs or donors simply can't find the time to tour. With social media, you can share behind-the-scenes videos that really establish trust and a direct connection with your donors. From there, once you've gained the trust of your donor, you can then show them how they can add value to your organization by making a contribution. Other ways of building and maintaining trust include e-newsletters that share updates with your community, annual reports, anything where you're reporting data and sharing stories, It's also why transparency is such a big thing. I highly doubt donors actually want to read your financial statements, but being open about that can help donors trust the organization and understand how their gifts will be utilized to have an impact. Another strategy that is frequently recommended with fundraising is to break out how various gift amounts will help the organization. So I'm just making this up here, but a gift of $35 provides water to 20 kids, or a gift of $50 provides a month of food for a family, and so on. What's the reason behind this? I would argue it's actually not to get gifts of $35 or $50. Rather, these metrics help donors determine how much value they can add to your organization. It's a metric that donors can use to figure out what impact they can have. So even if you really want gifts of $1,000, you can include data at much lower amounts because donors will see that they will add 10x or 100x value given the size of their donation. That also goes for gifts at a smaller amount. If I know I can only afford to make a gift of $20, These metrics allow me to understand that even my relatively small gift will be valuable for the organization. When we assess the donor acknowledgement leading practices through the lens of donor values, we can begin to see the merit to some of these seemingly mundane tasks. For instance, writing a little note on every fundraising letter or thank you letter is really tedious. If you've ever had to write out hundreds or even thousands of these notes, you know what I mean. Your hand is cramping up and you're really, really, really struggling and wondering if donors will even read this note. But the reason these are effective is that it's a little way of showing your donors that they are valued and special. Everyone gets a printed letter that says the same thing. Only the highly valued donors get the handwritten note. The same goes for the thank you phone calls. Not everyone picks up their phone, and sometimes even when they do, they're kind of in a rush to get off the phone. 
but it's a nice gesture for donors to know that you value their support so much that you're giving them a phone call. Again, you don't call every single donor, so it can make donors feel valued and special. And here's the thing. Donors get messaging from so many nonprofits on a daily basis, right? So one of the only ways to really stand out from the pack is to affect a donor's feelings. Using this idea, we can assess fundraising tactics that don't work and understand why. For instance, workplace giving used to be a huge thing, but in recent years, it's fallen off as a way that individuals give to nonprofits. And it kind of makes sense, right? The donor doesn't have the opportunity to build trust with the nonprofit. And there's typically not a way for the nonprofit to actually contact the employee and communicate how much they appreciate the donor's gift. So these core concepts are lacking in this, the structure of workplace giving. Fundraising premiums also used to be a big thing. So fundraising premiums are those little knickknacks that nonprofits would send potential donors. So things like branded calendars or return address labels. These little gifts, which um, you might think would encourage donors to give, they actually seem to reduce the odds that a prospect would donate. According to a Yale study, and I'll link this in the show notes, the researchers believe that receiving a gift or the potential of receiving a gift actually activated feelings of selfishness. So rather than donating and being selfless, they actually did the complete opposite. And it kind of makes sense, right? Even if a nonprofit is totally trustworthy, and honestly, I know the vast majority of nonprofits are doing amazing work, it comes off as a bit manipulative when you try to guilt people into giving by sending over a premium. I think people can see right through that. At the end of the day, people don't give because they want something, they want a feeling. So receiving some kind of gift can sometimes negate the positive feelings associated with giving. Now, I think that happens less so when you receive gifts after the donation is made. For instance, after you participate in a walk, you might get a t-shirt or a water bottle. So the idea here is not to guilt you into giving, but rather to engage you as a valued donor in the important job of raising awareness about the nonprofit. So within this framework, I find it's easy to determine whether a new method of fundraising or donor engagement will be worth the effort and the investment of both time and money. For instance, more recently, stories on Instagram and Facebook have allowed us to post more regularly kind of unfiltered content about our organizations. At first, it honestly just seemed like one more thing to do on social media, and it wasn't clear whether stories would be worth the effort. But when you assess this feature through the lens of trust and value for the donor, stories are a great way to show behind-the-scenes footage that help you gain the trust of your donors. So in the same way, as new technologies emerge, as I'm sure they will because social media is constantly evolving, you can you know, start to assess whether you, you think your organization needs to dedicate time and effort into this new medium. So, in summary, what do donors really want? They want to feel like they can trust your organization. They want to feel as if they've added value to a cause that's important to them. And they want to feel valued for their contributions. All right, that is all that I have for you today. I really, really, really hope that you found this helpful. 
If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out anytime. You can find notes for this episode by heading over to www.thirdsuite.com forward slash 20. Before you head off, don't forget, if you're looking to really up-level your nonprofit knowledge, check out Nonprofit Scholars. Thanks so much for tuning in. I will talk to you next week.